You all know me. You know how I make a living. I do podcasting. I'll be back here. That was a terrible impression. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Welcome back to the Silver Screen Podcast. I should stop doing these impressions at the start of episodes. They're not going well, are they? <laughs> but uh, welcome back to Silver Screen. This is a review of... Hey, keeping it entertained. <laughs> well, I guess at least that's somebody. Uh, this is going to be a review, as you can probably see and probably know by now, of Jaws, uh, which I went to see at the cinema uh, and a little bit different than just seeing the film because it's in real D 3D uh, for the first time. So I was able to watch it in 3D. And unlike my avatar, the shark did not look fake. So I wasn't Marty McFly complaining about Jaws 19. <laughs> so deep cut reference for the film nerds there. But uh, <laughs> I am joined, as usual, uh, with these reviews. This is another mini review by um, my assistant, co-host and friend, DK. Hello. Farewell, adieu to your fair Spanish lady. I love. <laughs> Why don't you come down here and chum some of this? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's all this so, review yeah. is, folks. It's just quote. <laughs> and this is the first time that I've really noticed just how quotable it is. <laughs> this movie, you know, that's uh, that's one bad hat, Harry. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, we're just going to be talking quite a lot about Jaws. So as as with the other mini reviews you'll have seen by now on this channel, there's an ET one on our sister channel. This hit on this Star Trek podcast, there is the motion picture of Star Trek and Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. Uh, basically, I just go over a little bit of what the experience was like and such, uh, get some questions from DK about that and the film, discuss our th sort of thoughts and feelings on the film and wrap it up relatively quickly by our standards within 45 to 55 minutes or so. Uh, so, yeah, um, I have made a few notes. But first of all, before I do that, DK, do you have any questions about my experience at the cinema? Well... Yeah, obviously, uh, we're going to go into specifics, but we spoke mm. about Spielberg movies the other day while we were reviewing E.T. Yes. And yeah. you mentioned that, uh, I'm not sure if, if we talked about it prior to the recording or it actually was on the recording itself, but you mentioned that Jaws, while a good film, it's never been one of your favourite Spielbergs. It's not something that you hold hold up as you know one of his best. It's not something mm. that's, that you were put in your top ten. Has going to the cinema and seeing it in the theatre changed that view? In this instance, yes. Um, this was, oh. I think this was way more of what I was expecting when I went to see E.T. Um, spoiler alert for that review, but if you haven't listened, I basically came out of that feeling slightly lesser, if anything, about E.T. and sort of feeling, well, it just doesn't, for whatever reason, it just doesn't grab me. And I don't, I appreciate that it's very well made and it's fantastic, but it just doesn't feel special to me in that extra sort of way um, that some films can do. Uh, whereas Jaws this time around, and uh, Jaws I had seen as, as well uh, fairly way more recently than I'd seen E.T. It was when I got the Blu-ray um, because it was on sale. So this was just before the pandemic. So maybe three years, um, which isn't that long a time, you know, since I actually saw it. And back then I'd noticed on my letterbox that I'd rated it three stars, um, which now I feel, oof, that was really ludicrous. <laughs> I don't know what, <laughs> I was, what I was doing at the time or whether it's just been more impactful seeing it both on the big screen and in this new format, I think, which keeps things exciting and, and chugging along. But for whatever reason, I definitely came out feeling more positively, but I won't say any more until the end when we give sort of final thoughts and, and um, star ratings and everything. But yeah, it was it was a way more positive experience than the last time I watched the movie at home and more positive than when I watched E.T. in the cinema. So, yeah. Nice. Did, uh, 
obviously with it being the 3D, as I'm I'm guessing it's been remastered for this release. Is that is that fair to say? I, I don't know because it looked well, I mean it's in 3D, so it was hard to tell. It looked a little different, but it didn't look bad, and yet the 3D really seemed to struggle with darker images and stuff. Like whenever there's a, a scene at night or a slightly darker scene or anything, um, indoors even, it would struggle and it would start to blur a bit, which was frustrating because the picture was really good most of the time and fantastic when it was in light and stuff. And um, even things you wouldn't necessarily like expect to be in 3D or think about, like sort of when it first started, there were characters on the beach that were in the foreground and some in the background and the ones in the foreground actually had real depth and felt like they were completely at a different level, if that makes sense. So it did sort of seem way more three-dimensional, obviously, um, than it would otherwise do. Um, and yet, like I said, you get to scenes in the dark and it just kind of appeared. It was like you'd switched from sort of an HD thing to watching an old DVD copy because it just started to blur a bit. And I was like, oh, that's a shame. Um, but I did notice a similar problem at that cinema with Wrath of Khan. So part of me wonders if it's maybe that cinema settings or something. Although it yeah. wasn't anywhere near as bad as Wrath of Khan. It was just, although like I said, it could well just be that the Blu-ray conversion struggles with darker images or whatever as well, because that's what it seemed like. But anyway. <laughs> oh, fair enough. And did the 3D hold up? Other than the, uh, the darker images. I mean, I'm that thinking of specific scenes like the cage and stuff like that. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I mean, the 3D, like I said, I was expecting that it wasn't going to be sort of fully 3D, I guess, for want of a better way to put it. So I was thinking there'll be key scenes and stuff that I'm sure will be in 3D, but they're not going to be. But it was really everything, and it just made it a far more immersive experience because, like I said, scenes that were – because Jaws isn't really the type of film that's like action every two minutes, but even character moments or dramatic sort of things and stuff, it was still showing it in 3D, and it actually just made you feel, I think – way more immersed um and that was the, the kind of the first note that i made was the opening of the film was fantastic because it's when uh spoiler alert if you've never seen jaws obviously for the rest <laughs> of the review but um at the start of the film as you know it's when uh, chrissy gets killed basically uh in the water and it was so cool because i've never seen water effects in 3d because all of the films i've seen in 3d just haven't well why would they be on water or whatever but it genuinely felt like the water was rushing at you as if you were in there and it was so like immersive was the word because i felt immersed in water and when she was getting dragged down and the camera would switch from showing like above water to underwater it genuinely felt like oof this is this is tense and horrible i do not like it kind of thing not in a sort of you know oh i'm gonna be sick with you or anything but just like this is way more effective than it would be if i was just watching it happening to somebody on screen because you felt like you were in the water with her and i was like this is this is epic this is exciting stuff so a lot of it like, 4D, <laughs> i wouldn't go in 4d i went once to see jurassic uh, park jurassic world sorry fallen kingdom and left after 20 minutes because i felt violently ill we went to see civil war and Ooh. yeah we came out actually feeling like we'd taken part in it. It did actually feel like we'd been beaten up. <laughs> so you could not do that all day, as it turns out. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, so yeah, I thought the 3D conversion was, with that one exception, which was kind of frustrating because it was so good. Um, it was it was really good and really, I was really impressed with the 3D and I think it did help the thing, like I said, immerse me a lot more because as I say, whether it was that or because it was on the big screen, there were moments that 
I know that I'd seen, but that I just took in a bit better, if that makes sense, this time around. So there yeah. were there were slight moments that I was like, oh, I don't really remember that. And then there were moments that I was like, oh, that's completely playing differently now than when I was just sat at home watching it on the TV or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I appreciated like lines of dialogue and little themes and bits and pieces and yeah, anything. I'll, I'll get into it more, I'm sure. But yeah, any other kind of big questions about that? Well, it, it was just attached to that 3D one. Actually, it was good. how did it how did it see, feel to watch a big 3D head fall out of the bottom of the boat? Um, that, <laughs> annoyingly, I was bracing myself. I know that scene really well. I've seen the movie, you know, three or four times in my life. I've seen that clip even more times because it turns up on every list of like, ooh, scariest moments in cinema. So I was bracing myself the moment Hooper went down to the boat and everything, and I was like, it's coming, I'm going to steal myself. And I still flipping jumped. It still got me <laughs> to the point that I had to, like, you, you, you know, you have that nervous laughter kind of thing. I jumped with genuine fear and then just laughed afterwards. And I think there was, just, like, a family behind me that just seemed to, like, be staring at me like, are you crazy? What the heck? And I was like, <laughs> you just have to laugh. You've got to appreciate that they got me for like the tenth time or something. You know? Oh god! You're <laughs> that person in the cinema. Every time in the cinema, there's always one, and it's you. <laughs> that was the only time I made any noise, and the rest of the people in there were less respectful. Let me tell you, because uh, if we're talking about the experience, I got really annoyed because, for whatever reason constantly people like the entirety of the, sh the film people were going down the stairs to leave and then coming back up again and i was like i was inches away from just standing up and addressing the entire cinema and going yo we all have our steps in for the day now yeah can we just sit still watch the dang movie because <laughs> so i was like oh it didn't help that i had the seat right next to the aisle so they were running past me the entire oh. time and I was just, oh, sit down. <laughs> you know? Was it yeah. a full theatre or? Well, well yeah, I, I would say like 80% full. And it was not one of their small screens either. It was big. So, yeah. And a surprising number of uh, youngsters there, which I've got to tell you, I would not be taking my kids to see this. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I was Every time one of those sort of scenes that was happening that's very uh, near the knuckle, I was just thinking, oh, how is the kid going to respond to this? <laughs> were you like, I did, didn't, you know, were you casting glances when stuff like that happened then? No, I'm, because I was sat like at the front of a, a row, not like at the front of the entire thing, but I was at the front of a row where the like balcony part is right next to the thing. So I couldn't really stare at anybody. But like I said, there was a family behind me that clearly had like a really young boy, like maybe seven or eight years old, um, because I could hear them chatting, but they were you know, they were relatively respectful. He would whisper and he would just say the odd thing, but I couldn't really make it out except during one scene, which is the, the sort of what I thought was going to be the really harrowing scene where Quint um, eventually bites it at the end. Oh, yeah. bad choice of words. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, when it, when the shark's kind of chomping down and it's really sort of intense, the way blood pours and it drags Quint away. And all I could hear was this little boy going, oh, I wonder if he's taking food for some babies or something. <laughs> God. What, the, what the heck are you on about? <laughs> that's a kid that's been desensitized. <laughs> I was like, I, I was disturbed. I was like, oh, I forgot just how graphic this is when it's like fully puncturing him and blood's coming out. And yeah, he just was not phased by it at all. It's like, oh, well, today's generation, I guess, are fine with this. But, uh, yeah, which is weird because I remember my brother being terrified of this when he was really young. 
because it came on TV or something, and he hated. He used to say he hated it because there was a chance it was real. Like he was never scared of zombies or monsters or aliens because he's like, well, what's the chances you're going to run into them? But sharks, they're real. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny how people's uh, fears play on them, and yeah, yeah it affects their movie-going experience. Yeah, definitely. But I will say as well, related to that, that um, the film this time around, because I was so immersed and and concentrating and stuff really played way more like a horror film than I've ever really experienced before. Um, not that I'm saying it isn't, but I was just like the uh, sort of previous viewings and stuff. I've always been like, yeah, okay, fair enough. But it's more of a sort of drama sort of, you know, in the same way that a lot of people might watch Jurassic Park and feel the same way, but also you could watch it as a kid and be absolutely terrified of the dinosaur attacks, I guess. Um, yeah. And yet they're only rated like what, well, this was a 12A, which is weird because my Blu-ray is a PG, but never mind. Um, so I thought that seems really weird because it's definitely playing like really, yeah, like a, like a horror movie in, in the first way. And when I went to look it up, as I often do after watching these films, I was like, I'll have a scout of the IMDb and Wikipedia pages. I noticed that Wikipedia officially lists it as a natural horror film. And I was like, well, there you go. That's that argument settled. So. <laughs> Uh, one last thing that I, I need to ask, uh, audio transfer any good? I mean, obviously it's got a John Williams soundtrack, so I would hope that uh, it's been mm -hmm. it's been restored to uh, to a good state. I'm just going to sound redundant if anybody's seen the E.T. review, but yeah, it was fantastic. <laughs> I can't fault it. The John Williams score was brilliant. I've never heard it as clearly, um, to the point that I'm sure I noticed one little musical motif towards the end that he's he later used in Star Wars. Because I was like, I've heard that before. Maybe I'm just remembering watching Jaws in the past or listening to the soundtrack because I have all those things. But I was like, that sounds perilously close to a little kind of riff that you hear somewhere in the Star Wars, uh, the original movies kind of soundtrack. But I guess yeah. maybe that's just very similar. I mean, it's the same guy. But yeah, it was very sort of whimsical in the midst of what should be a really tense moment. And I was like, that's odd. <laughs> but never mind. So just to compare and see if it was the same moment, um, if I recall correctly from all of last night, um, it was when Quint is basically resting on top of the sort of capsized boat on the sail um, and the shark's coming back around. And the music just does this weird sort of cheerful little thing. And I was like, yeah, that's the one. That's the one, mate. What is this? What's going on? Like, surely that was, that should be a tense moment. And it's just like, I was like, what is happening? Maybe he was having a bet with someone and says, I can sneak that shit in easy. Watch me. Very possibly. But I'm not going to fault him for anything because, like I was uh, going to say, like the musical tension in this is worthy of like Bernard Herrmann, um, which if you don't know, obviously you'll yeah. uh, potentially be aware of his work in Psycho, which is iconic, um, or you you probably know Twisted Nerve from Kill Bill. Um, but he was the master of like making you feel really tense through music. And I think yeah. this, is, uh, this is definitely Williams channeling a lot of that because... It's been said a million times, but the way that the music basically signals to you that the shark is there and the the sheer nerve-wracking terror of the slow build of do-do-do-do-do-do-do, oh, it's around. And I don't know if I've ever noticed this before or it's just sort of went in one ear and out the other, but I noticed this time around that when it's not the real shark and they're all panicking and it turns out to be them doing a prank, the music doesn't come in. So it's like, even if you don't register that subconsciously, you'd be aware not to be as tense about it. 
because it's like, well, it's not the real shark because the music's not there with it. <laughs> no, I've never was, actually picked up on that before. So, but the next time I watch, I'll uh, I'll bear that in mind. Yeah, because there's the moment when they sort of, like I said, they're watching out and everything, and everybody's there, and they scream shark, and then turns out to be two little kids, and then there's the one kid that's like, he put me up to it, he made me do it. But yeah, um, you would know if you're aware of these things, which, as I said, I don't know if I've noticed before now, but did this time, that even when the camera's like under the water and looking around and they're all running away screaming, that music never kicks in. So I was like, well, it's, it's signposting to you that this isn't really the shark. That's so cool in a way, you know? <laughs> But, uh, anyway, um, yeah. What else? Uh, what else to say? Did you have any other big questions for me or anything? No, that's that's pretty much it. Everything that I wanted to ask, it's it's already there. So I'm gonna hand it over to you and your notes and see and see what you can uh, what you can tell me. Well, I've touched on a lot of the sort of things already, but I will say that this time around, for whatever reason, I really appreciated the the characterization uh, that was present in the script by obviously Benchley and Carl Gottlieb. Um, so this time around, I was like, wow, these characters are actually really well drawn. And maybe it's the fact that I can concentrate, as I've said before, that I'm sort of laser focused on the screen that lets you appreciate this a lot more than you could perhaps at home viewing when you're distracted or whatever else. So, uh, yeah, I loved all of the characters, but for whatever reason, I came out of this one thinking, Do you know what? I really love Matt Hooper and I don't know why. Like, I don't think he's necessarily the central character. But for me, I was like, he's my dude. He's my guy. It was so cool to have somebody that was like going to come in and fully support the sheriff after all of the crap he'd been putting up with from the mayor and all the rest of it. And then you have this one guy that comes in and he's like, no, no, you're going to listen, you know? Uh, yeah. Well, if you want to be an idiot, I'm just going to leave or whatever. And I was like, it's so cool having that guy. And even then, like, um, his like interactions with Quint and the kind of, uh, only Trekkies will appreciate this, but the kind of Spock McCoy relationship that he has with Quint. Yeah. It's just like they clearly respect each other, but my word, they get on each other's nerves as well. <laughs> when you look at it though, the, the the you know, there's three main players in this, the ones mm. that end up in the boat, and they're all just at the top of their game in this. Oh, I mean, they're all great actors in their own right, but in this, they just shine yeah. to me. Yeah, well, that was another note I had. I'll skip ahead to it. But yeah, I was going to say I noticed the acting was really good, obviously. Again, I'm stating the obvious here. But and again, this won't be a surprise to anybody. But the key scene that has always been like, wow, you should watch this is the uh, the scene when Quint's describing the Indianapolis. And yeah. I was like, this is this is an acting masterclass. And to be fair, also a great example of directing because the director has to know to not do anything flashy and to just basically trust that the camera's capturing the performance because it does nothing. It's just, you know, rigidly in place. And I was like, that's the absolute right decision, though, as opposed to doing any fancy, like, panning around the room or zooming closer in or anything like that. I was like, this was, it's, it's you know, the, whether it's accidental or not, which I doubt Spielberg did exactly the right thing in that in that moment, and it helps that scene to play out with all the more emotional impact, which is fantastic. And again, it's a, when I was sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to say it's the best example I've ever seen in cinema, and you can count numerous horror movies that have gone for it. It's the best example I've seen of what you would describe as a campfire ghost story. It's mm. obviously based on a true story, it's not a ghost story, but just the fact that there's these people sat around at night and he's telling it, and you actually become so involved in it, it is very. 
it, it does create that kind of tense atmosphere. And, and yeah. you know, you get you, you get horror movies where they sit around and they tell ghost stories and things like that, and it doesn't come close to it. Yeah. See, I don't think... Uh, I see what you're saying, and I don't disagree as such, but with me, it's more about, like, that's a moment of pure drama. Like, there are, for me, like, Oscar-winning speeches, you know, like Meryl Streep <laughs> in Sophie's Choice or whatever, that I'm like... It's as good as them when it comes oh, to like definitely. a dramatic monologue. Do you know what I mean? From Robert Shaw, and I was like, it's so impressive. And as I was, I was going to say, you kind of touched on. I didn't know till I was researching the movie after coming out of it that it was a true story, which yeah. displays my historical ignorance completely. But I was like, I thought that was just made up. Obviously, I knew, you know, that the bomb had been delivered in Hiroshima, but I was like, surely they made up the Indianapolis and, you know, being eaten by sharks and stuff. Nope, it's all completely true. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that makes it hit all the harder next time I watch it when I'm like, oof, that yeah, that's actually happened. That's what made it for me. That's what made yeah. it the kind of ghost story because, yeah, that yeah. Bit is true. But they're on this little boat surrounded by water and it's out there. You know it's mm. out there. They know it's out there. And it, it's a relatively calm scene. Mm. But... He's in, it's imbued with so much emotion by uh, by Robert Shaw, even though he's mm -hmm. not, you know, hamming it up. He's just being yeah. Robert Shaw, and Robert Shaw has always but, been a... But even then, I had no idea, and again, sorry if this is displaying a level of ignorance, had no idea until I read about it yesterday that Robert Shaw is English. I had no clue. I was like, that guy's American accent or whatever he's doing there is flawless. You could have knocked me over with a feather when I read, like, Robert Shaw, born in England, English actor. And I was, I was like, what? You didn't <laughs> just... know that? Yeah. <laughs> Completely Man, blew my mind. I'm one here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I just, I'm not that au fait with actors who passed away many years ago, you know? But, oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think this is this might be either all that I've ever seen him in or all that I've really registered him in. But yeah, I just didn't know. And I was like, there is no indication that man isn't American for me. So have you never seen this thing? No. Oh man, get that on your watch list. <laughs> that is one of fair the best enough. ones ever made. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I will uh, take that under advisement for sure. Yeah, let me know any any other films. I have some weird blind spots, but uh, yeah, that's obviously just one of them. And I appreciated. Again, it sort of relates back to something I was saying in E.T. where I said that, and again, we've already talked about it a bit, that Spielberg in that movie seemed to be using directing tricks and crash zooms and stuff just because he hadn't and he felt like he could and it was a box of tricks to chuck in and it felt very jarring. Whereas I think all of the what you could call directorial tricks in inverted commas that are employed in Jaws are really effective and work incredibly well. And the best example, of course, is that kind of I guess it's a crash zoom straight in on Brody when he realizes what's happening in that scene on the beach. Um, and it, again, it's iconic. It turns up in all of the like best moments in movies and whatever. And I was like, that is really good and very effective and uh, plays even better in 3D. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Um, there was another moment that made me jump. And I, oh, it was, um, that was it. I should have made a note of it, but I have remembered it was when the cage goes down, as you were saying. And uh, everything seems relatively normal. And then all of a sudden, the shark just rams the cage. And you're like, oh, crap. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, that did make me jump as well, which was so weird because I don't think it has in the past. But again, maybe because you actually felt like you were in there, it was like, oh, no. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I, do um, have to, I, mean, I do have to give a shout out to Murray Hamilton playing the typical politician that when you're watching it as a kid, you just thought nobody would ever act like this. And as we've seen over the yeah. last two or three years of a pandemic, they all yeah. act like this. Oh yes, absolutely. 
Um, if anything, the most unbelievable part for me was when he actually signed the uh, the thing to hire Quint. I was like, yeah, he wouldn't do that, to be fair. But uh, I suppose he did He did sell me with the whole, you know, my kids were on the beach too line and stuff. But yeah, I hate that guy, the character, not the actor, by the way. Um, but yeah, obviously that's the intent. But yeah, the, the, the decision by the writers to include even, because you hate him anyway, but you're like, oh, I kind of get, you know where you're coming from but it's greedy and whatever and then the, the tipping point for me is when he's like nobody's in the water go in the water take your family in and i'm like all right dude come on this is a step too far you know like you've got the customers there on the beach anyway what bloody difference does it make but, <laughs> but anyway yeah. um but yeah as I said, fantastically written in a way that i've appreciated a lot more this time and uh, i think it enhances all of the kind of story points and various sort of themes and stuff that they're touching on because even things like Brody's fear of the water uh which sort of seemed a bit weird and out of place makes a lot more sense and kind of plays out better to me now in my head and I'm like okay I get it now and then little character quirks and things and even towards the end of the movie it feels like the reason that Quint gets killed is kind of the movie almost wants to justify it that he's like being killed because he was the most like an asshole basically, which is yeah. like, that would be nice if people actually got punished for being an asshole in life. Cause you know, as much as he's ends up likable and you kind of appreciate him, there are moments that he literally does go too far, like smashing the radio or um, shouting back at Hooper and then literally taxing the engine too far when he's warned about it. And I'm like, yeah, it does feel like this guy has to kind of get some comeuppance for that. So I think I can see why in the writing they were like, well, he's got, we've got to take one of the three out and it's kind of going to have to be him, I guess. Even though, again, that adds to the tragedy of that Indianapolis thing because he went out the worst way possible that he never would have yeah. wanted. I was so sort of immersed and appreciated the story and everything this time. I came away from it for the very first time thinking, do you know what? I really wouldn't mind seeing the sequels and where their stories go and <laughs> where their story goes. I mean, and, uh, and then I remembered what the sequels were like from the times that I've sort of half watched them and was like, no way. <laughs> no. No. Nope. I'm not I, doing I, that. <laughs> I can, I can deal with two. I mm. like two. I mean, even though it's not got, you know, a lot of the cast, it's still got Roy Scheider. I can deal with that. Yeah. Three, four, just get in the sea. <laughs> what intended. Get right in the sea. But, uh, yeah, so as I say, I, there's not really a lot else to say that I haven't touched on, but in conclusion, great acting, great direction, amazing music by uh, John Williams. And uh, yeah, uh, the writing, as I said, hugely now appreciated a lot more and just way more engrossed than I think I was, which is weird because, like I said, the first time around, I was like, yeah, it's fine, but you know, it's a little boring in places and it's a little. And I don't understand what clicked this time, but I'm not complaining because, like I said, I think that was what I wanted to happen with ET, and it just kind of didn't. So yeah. yeah, I think at this point it was to me when I look back, it was Spielberg's golden era. I mean, you had this, you had Close Encounters, you had Raiders. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah, you, you had ET. I mean, yeah, it doesn't exactly float our boat because we didn't have that connection, but it's still considered. And yeah, he's. I don't think he's ever made a bad movie, but back then, these these movies were just blowing everything else out of the water. Yeah. Again, that pun um, was not intended, by the way. Having said that, for me, I don't think you can look past 1993 with the double blow of Jurassic Park and Schindler's List. I mean, come on. <laughs> no, no. I mean, when I say it's golden era, I'm going from late 70s to early yeah. 90s. Okay, uh, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, everything. And, 
yeah, he's made good films since then, but nothing like, you know, his uh, his track record mm. when it came to this. It, even the ones I like, I think it would be hard to see are as good or effective as, as these. So even things like, I don't know, um, War of the Worlds or, as I said, Ready Player One I like, but I wouldn't say it's on this level at all. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I, th I think I know what you're saying and uh, I fully agree, but I think all directors kind of have that moment, I think, don't they, where it's like they have their golden period and then if they keep on working, eventually it's like, well, that's not quite... Like, look at Tim Burton, for example. Like, yeah. When was the last time he made a truly, like, wow, that was amazing, breathtaking film? And uh, it's probably the 90s, if we're fair. Maybe the early 2000s, depending on your opinion of, like, Sleepy Hollow, I guess. I haven't really heard from you. Did you just agree with what I was saying? Or how did the film kind of hit you? Because, again, you've obviously seen it, so... I've I've grown up with this movie. I mean, you were talking about the kid that was seven. I think I must have been even younger when I first wow. saw it. Uh, were you not scared? I, well, at some scenes, yeah. And I think one of the versions I saw, it must have been a TV version because I can swear that I've seen one version where there is no head. Right. How that worked, I'm not quite sure. If I mean, that could be a Mandela effect or it could just be a... You know, an example of my Swiss cheese memory. But I remember growing up watching these movies, and it was a regular thing. We must have watched it at least once a year. I've watched it with my parents. Uh, wow. Jaws 1 and 2. Again, that's yeah. why I, I can kind of lump Jaws 2 in with this. It's, it's nowhere near as good, but mm. it's a damn sight better than the ones that followed it. Uh, but yeah, Even though I've... Jaws 3 has your favourite actress with the crush? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that... Oh my god, there's there's oh god. I just it's can't got, put how are the work. ducks Leah Thompson in it, man? It's got Dennis Quaid in it, for God's sake. <laughs> but yeah, it's garbage. If, <laughs> really if you is. ever see that scene, have you have you seen it? I've seen it before. I I can I can't remember like vividly in, in epic detail, but I saw it on ITV once, um, probably about 10 years ago now. But yeah, yeah it was on ITV at like three in the afternoon when I watched it, and I was like this is just crap. Sharks yeah, getting trapped in the... And the freaking dolphins coming. Oh, that uh, was the worst. The sort of scene with dolphins. Oh, no Shark <laughs> heading towards you in slow-mo, and then it hits the glass. Yeah. And you just... As, right, it burn clearly every for the coffee. 3D, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can see that there were scenes that were entirely because, like, it's going to be in 3D, but obviously it wasn't. Like, when I watched it, it was on TV. Yeah. And it probably had some things cut very potentially because... You might be right. It sounds like there was a TV editor of the original that they probably wanted to show in the afternoon and cut out all of the more gory bits and stuff. So. Yeah. Have you seen the fourth one? I know that I have, but I can't remember anything about it other than Michael Caine flying a biplane and yeah. the shark inexplicably exploding at the end for no reason. Because I remember them, the, they ram the ship in... into the shark and, yeah, it blows up for no, no purpose. Yeah. <laughs> If you go in thinking this is just going to be batshit crazy, it's absurd. I will. Oh, I'll... and doesn't doesn't like Ellen Brody randomly have psychic powers in the fourth? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's called the revenge because yeah. the shark follows her <laughs> to the Bahamas. That's right. Yes, it's coming back to me now. Yes, and that was the yeah. one that made the infamous tagline this time. It's personal, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> if, if you start that knowing that. At no point should you take it seriously. You're fine with it. It it kind of holds up. But the third yeah. one, no matter how desperate you may be, to me, that's it, it's just 
dreadful, dreadful piece yeah. of cinema. It's I don't know. I I I'd, I'd be hard pressed to think which is the worst between three and four myself. Yeah. <laughs> but if two, if you two, I don't hate because like you, I've got a soft spot for. I know it was directed by Jeno Schwartz, and nobody likes his movies. But I can stomach like Supergirl and Santa Claus the movie and stuff. So to me, he's a decent director. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, most I, people I wouldn't agree. <laughs> yeah, I did. I didn't mind it as 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 we've said. It it was kind of lumped in. So I used to see Jaws. And Jaws two on a f- pretty regular basis, and mm. so I've kind of grown up with this movie, and I can still, it's yeah, it's something I've never got tired of. Yeah, it's I love it. I mean, I, I can't say it's Spielberg's best movie, but uh, it's up there. It's yeah, definitely up I there. think I would agree. I don't think it's Spielberg's best for me because there are ones that have a more personal impact, but it's definitely going to make the top ten, if not five. Um, for now that I've seen it, so yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Uh, but speaking about the Mandela effect, as we were, um, I did say to you before we started recording as well off air that I had a weird moment where I was sure they'd cut something because I remembered it differently. It was the famous scene at the very end, the um, smile, you son of a. I was adamant that I always knew it as he actually swore he said, smile, you son of a bitch. And I was like, oh, why have they cut that on this version? I'm going to mark it down points for that. That's really annoying because I even know if, you know, even if it's only a minute or whatever, as we were talking about as well off air, I get annoyed at knowing that a film's been snipped or cut from the original idea. Then I looked yeah. on the internet yesterday and I was on for a solid hour and I re- could not find any version where it wasn't cut and was like, hmm, turns out I'm just completely misremembering it. It never doesn't cut during smile you son of a and there are versions when you can almost hear the word bitch in between the explosion and i'm like maybe that's what i'm thinking but I'm, yeah i think I'm, I'm thinking, just completely <laughs> yeah i'm thinking with something like that your mind might automatically fill it in yeah. so that you do end up misremembering completely and i think that may that may well be what's happened with that as well like you said the mind has just been like well i know what word follows so naturally but i was like because then i was thinking to myself why would they cut out the word bitch when they specifically kept the line you can come down and chum some of this shit yeah <laughs> granted you couldn't really cut that because that's when the shark turns up in, in that awesome moment when it just takes you <laughs> by surprise which is on your avatar yeah <laughs> but, uh, but yeah i was like that's just odd but it turns out it was just me so i can't really fault anything for that so yeah um any last sort of thoughts or any sort of praise you wanted to lavish i guess on uh on jaws before we uh conclude only that i'm um pretty envious that you got to see it in 3d because it's not been available anywhere around mm. here in that format that's a shame because well it's not been available until now anyway but um yeah i, I really appreciated it and it, it did look really good and they've done they've done what must have been a lot of hard work because like i said there was never a longer than like a minute or two period where there wasn't something in 3d on the screen and it all looked incredible so it really did help you to feel way more involved in the movie as i kept saying um, so yeah, I would recommend if anybody does have it showing near them and they're wondering about seeing it, do go and see it and do see it in the, the real D 3d. And if you have access to it, I guess IMAX cause it is available in that format. I just don't have it. So yeah. Um, so I'm quite envious of the people that would have got to see it writ large on a massive IMAX screen and in 3d, but anyway. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, uh, I know we mentioned, uh, you know, about when we did the motion picture review, how audiences that grew up with the original series must have felt when they saw the uh, the dry dock sequence of the new mm. enterprise 
it's a similar thing here. I would love to have gauged people's reactions when this first hit cinemas. Yeah. Well, it was the, as it keeps marketing itself, it, it's the original summer blockbuster. And it was the thing that kind of, yeah, the, the first time that movies had really become a phenomenon in that way. And uh, it was the biggest thing in the world until two years later when Star Wars came out. For whatever reason, the last time I watched it about three years ago, I gave it three stars out of five. This time around, I was agonizing between 4.5 and 5 uh, because I had enjoyed it and appreciated it that much more and it did just strike that chord that I think E.T. was was just missing with me for whatever reason um, yeah. but in the end because I was thinking like if we're seeing the overall experience then the fact that there are scenes that were kind of blurred and stuff I kind of have to mark it down for that and there are still some scenes where I, I feel like they could have been potentially edited out um, to give the film a little bit more pace and an extra punch. Like it's two hours long and I feel like you could have maybe lost not that much, but maybe 10 minutes to just keep the pace going a bit better in some places when it gets a little bit languishing. Um, some people will probably claim that's blasphemy, but so I was like, I don't, I, I don't give anywhere between these. Like we just go half points at the best. And I was like, if I did, I would probably be like officially, 4.7 or something but since we can't yeah. do that i think, think since i'm closer to it i went in the end with four and a half stars out of five but a very good high 4.5 out of five um so yeah what would you do uh, for this movie uh i might surprise you with this one uh, i've not had the experience of seeing it in 3d like i've just said uh so i didn't have the the foibles when it comes to technical aspects of it mm. uh i can't really fault it with regards to editing i mean i'm not going to you know be one of the people that says blasphemy because you know <laughs> you want wanted to cut the have 10 minutes out but again it's one of the movies like we said on our ratha khan interview that i can sit down i know it's a good two hours and before you know it it's over it's yeah. oh it flew it never... by it's just that yeah there was what i meant what i meant by that just to clarify is that there are some scenes where it's kind of between shark attacks and stuff where there's an awful lot of what seems like repetitive sort of, oh, I'm nervous about this. Well, I'm going to open the beaches. Well, you shouldn't open the beach. And I'm like, all right, we get the picture. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. lose just a tiny bit of that to give it a bit of extra punch, I think. But anyway, I'm not Spielberg, so what do I know? Uh, I can understand it. But uh, yeah, again, I've got such fond memories of this. And like you said, because we didn't have that connection with E.T., that was a markdown. But I do, I do have a connection with this. So I'm going to give it five. Awesome. Fair enough. Uh, which, <laughs> weirdly enough, would make the final score 4.75 anyway for the podcast, so I kind of got what I wanted. <laughs> so there we go. But, uh, yeah, awesome. Well, what are your thoughts and feelings on uh, the first Jaws? Have you been lucky enough to see it uh, in the cinema or on IMAX or 3D now that it's out? And uh, did, did you find that experience to be the same as me or different or... Uh, how was it? And yeah, just let us know. Stay in touch. Uh, do do some interaction. We're available on all of the social medias you can hear in our outro and uh, in the descriptions. And uh, yeah, stay tuned to this podcast channel because we're going to have more stuff coming your way uh, very soon. In fact, uh, we have a full schedule planned and you can see some of the things that are coming up on our Twitter page and the like. Um, but yeah, you can look forward to DK. Do you want to tell them what uh, is coming next? We will have our first episode of Cult Classics, where we'll be looking at the uh, the 1980s classic, inverted commas, uh, Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. In the eighth dimension. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then, then 
shortly after that, we're doing a crossover with the Big Screen Podcast where we look at John Carpenter's uh, 1982 remake of The Thing. Uh, which that, sh- that should be a good one. And you got to be kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> and staying in that theme, shortly after that, just in time for Halloween, we will be having a uh, top 10. This time, top 10 horror movies. Indeed. And we'll see if Jaws makes it onto anybody's list, because I wouldn't be surprised. So it may well. Um, but yeah. yeah. So awesome. Well, uh, yeah. Thanks again for joining me, DK. Uh, hopefully you haven't minded, but it sounds like you enjoyed talking about a film you liked. So that's good. Yeah. Um, so, Pleasure yeah, as always. Uh, awesome. As always. <laughs> Glad to hear it. So yeah, everybody take care uh, and catch us again later. And in the meantime, remember, in the epic words of Arnie, we'll be back. You have been listening to the Silver Screen Podcast, hosted by Michael Wilson and DK. Created, produced, and edited by Michael Wilson. Behind the scenes sections and additional material produced by DK. Music by Timeless Journey. More information can be found at soundcloud.com forward slash timeless journey. Follow the podcast on Twitter at podcast underscore screen on Instagram at Silver Screen Podcast or look for the Silver Screen Podcast under Facebook groups. Links to all our social media accounts and more are in this episode's description. This podcast is available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for Silver Screen, Hit or Miss Star Trek. This has been a Mike's Podcast Production. Copyright 2022. Thank you for listening.